and welcome to Caverncast. I hope you're well, because I've got COVID again. Ah. And you know where I got it from? Wembley Stadium, at the Taylor Hawkins tribute gig. Where was the first time I got COVID? Milton Keynes Stadium. I think I should just stop going to stadiums. Fortunately, it has not knocked me out as bad this time, but I have definitely not been feeling great for the last few days. I got very delirious again, had some very interesting thoughts. At least I wasn't watching Stranger Things this time at two in the morning, having crazy Vecna-fueled nightmares. Getting his Vecna seal up in my unconscious brain, man. That was a hell of a time. Chrissy wake up, more like Cavern wake up, Vecna is laying it on thick, my boy. Anyway, what an intro, now I do hope you're well, however, uh, today, like the last few days, my mind has not been working well at all, it's just been stopping, so today, um, as I've still got a voice, what I'm going to do is make this episode more of a fact-based episode, so today I don't have to do as much of the thinking, the words are going to be there, and it's going to be a, we're going to do some learning, we're going to do some educating today, well I'm going to do some educating, you're going to be educated, well we're both going to be educated, I feel like we're going to learn things that I I don't know as well, so this is a learning, a learning time, and really, I mean, I guess you get to choose with this episode, you get to choose whether you'd like to be educated and chill. Yo, you want to be educated and chill? That's the new thing. Or you can just sleep and um, and maybe take in some subconscious facts. And you might end up in a conversation over the next week and randomly come out with a fact that you thought you'd never heard of before, thinking, where did that come from? Do you reckon that's how that works? There's just a magic person or a fairy that that goes around floating into people's windows, telling them facts in their sleep. So when you remember a fact, but you like, you can't for the life of you remember where you learned it, that's where it was from. But the cost of having a fact come out at the right time is that something has to be taken away too. You get a fact and you have to lose a bit of information. So you may learn that uh, one in 5,000 lobsters is born bright blue instead of red, but you'll forget why you walked into a room the next day. Everything comes with a price. And the thing is, you didn't choose this deal, personally. It was a bargain that was made at the beginning of humanity. A dangerous human deal. It was called, or ADHD, for short. (laughs) So let's get on with the words of today, shall we? If you haven't listened to Cavern Cast before, welcome in. How it works is, I use a random word generator to generate five random words, and then I talk about them, whatever comes to mind. 
but today is going to be more fact-based because I don't trust my mind today. I think that's, I mean, that ADHD thing was very good, but that's, that's about it. I've used up all my juice. So we're, we're just going to learn some things today. So feel free to nod off, chill, or be educated. But this is going to be a, re- a nice, relaxed, factual episode. So I hope you enjoy. The first word is a big furry word. Mammoth. Immediately, immediately thinking of Manny from Ice Age. Movies that hold up. I've said this before. All four Ice Age films hold up. Very good sequels. So, did you know the woolly mammoth is an extinct species of mammoth that lived during the Pleistocene until its extinction in the Holocene epoch. Those two words mean uh, periods of time when the earth looked a particular way, like geologically, like the countries weren't as they are now. They were all in different, uh, the tectonic plates had moved in a, a certain way, or they hadn't moved to what they are now. The Pleistocene was about 2,580,000 years ago to 11,700 years ago. And we're currently in the Holocene epoch. It was one of the last in a, in a line of mammoth species, beginning with the Mammothus subplanifrons in, uh, in the early Pliocene. Uh, see, I've, I've duped myself here thinking we were going to have an easy one because I was like, oh, just, I don't have to make my mind work. Words. Words now are the issue. But it'll be fine. I need to just warm into these woolly words and it'll be fine. The woolly mammoth began to diverge from the steppe mammoth about 800,000 years ago in East Asia. Its closest extant relative is the Asian elephant. DNA studies show that the Colombian mammoth was a hybrid between woolly mammoths and another lineage descended from steppe mammoths. The appearance and behavior of the species are among the best studied of any prehistoric animal because of the discovery of frozen carcasses in Siberia and North America, as well as skeletons, teeth, stomach contents, dung, and depiction from life in prehistoric cave paintings, mammoth remains had long been known in Asia before they became known to Europeans in the 17th century. The origin of these remains was long a matter of debate, and often explained as being remains of legendary creatures. The mammoth was identified as an extinct species of elephant by Georges Cuvier in 1796. The woolly mammoth was roughly the same size as modern African elephants. Males reached shoulder heights between 2.7 and 3.4 meters, and weighed up to 6 metric tons. Females reached 2.6 to 2.9 meters in shoulder heights and weighed up to 4 metric tons. A newborn calf weighed about 90 kilograms. The woolly mammoth was well adapted to the cold environment during the last ice age. Huh? like the film. 
That's so crazy, the film must have been where they got the idea from. It was covered in fur, with an outer covering of long guard hairs and a shorter undercoat. The colour of the coat varied from dark to light. The ears and tail were short to minimise frostbite and heat loss. Yeah, evolution. It had long, curved tusks and four molars, which were replaced six times during the lifetime of an individual. Its behaviour was similar to that of modern elephants, and it used its tusks and trunk for manipulating objects, fighting and foraging. The diet of the woolly mammoth was mainly grasses and sedges. Individuals could probably reach the age of 60. Its habitat was the mammoth steppe, which stretched across northern Eurasia and North America. The woolly mammoth coexisted with early humans, who used its bones and tusks for making art, tools and dwellings, and hunted the species for food. The population of woolly mammoths declined at the end of the Pleistocene, disappearing throughout most of its mainland range, although isolated populations survived on St. Paul Island until 5,600 years ago, on Wrangell Island until 4,000 years ago, and possibly based on ancient DNA, in the Yukon up to 5,700 years ago, and on the Tamir Peninsula up to 3,900 years ago. After its extinction, humans continued using its ivory as a raw material, a tradition that continues today. Mm. With a genome project for the mammoth completed in 2015, it has been proposed that the species could be revived through various means, but none of the methods proposed are yet feasible. If we can bring back mammoths, we can bring back dinosaurs. Let's go. I'm all for it. Sign me up. Where can I help? I've definitely said this fact before, but I like saying it to anyone who may not have heard it. You know how they say everything tastes like chicken? Really, what it is, is that chickens are the most closely related thing to dinosaurs, so really, everything tastes like dinosaur? I think that's really cool. So that was mammoth. I mean, very specifically, woolly mammoth, but... That's like Manny from Ice Age, and that's, that's where I wanted to lean towards. Now, please do join me in learning some facts about... Boats. After Homo erectus which never stops being funny, possibly used watercraft more than a million years ago to cross straits between land masses, boats have served as transportation far into prehistoric times. Circumstantial evidence, such as the early settlement settled, settlement of Australia over 40,000 years ago, findings in Crete dated 130,000 years ago, and in Flores, Floors? Flores. That feels like one I should know. Flores. I'm going with Flores. Please be Flores. That's what my mind is giving me confidently. More confidently. Slightly more confidently. Than the others. Flores. Dated to 900,000 years ago. Suggest that boats have been used since prehistoric times. The earliest boats are thought to have been dugouts, but this is dubious and uh, not completely cemented in fact, and the oldest boats found by archaeological excavation date from around 7,000 to 10,000 years ago. 
the oldest recovered boat in the world, the Pesse Canoe. Found in the Netherlands is a dugout made from the hollowed tree trunk of a Pinus sylvestris that was constructed somewhere between 8200 and 7600 BC. This canoe is exhibited in the Drents Museum in Assen in the Netherlands. Rafts have operated for at least 8,000 years. A 7,000-year-old seagoing reed boat has been found at site H3 in Kuwait. Okay, they're old. Boats have been used for a while. This is what we... This is what we're gaining from this. I mean, we knew this. If you've ever watched, um... What I say watched. If you if you know anything about history, I was I was going to reference the um the entire history of the world. I guess is that what it's called? But the uh, the diagrams in that they shows like how people tra- traveled around the world to get to where they needed to go. And as soon as boats were invented, you know that's how most of history happened was by people figuring out oh we can cross the water this way. Let's go. Yeah, they would Batman themselves (laughs) over over to different countries. That's how that would work. I am the voice of reason. I know history. Do not test me. There are multiple different parts of a boat. The hull is the main and, in some cases, only structural component of a boat. The bit that you sit in. It provides both capacity and buoyancy like me on a good mental health day. The keel is a boat's backbone, a lengthwise structural member, to which the, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, to which the perpendicular frames are fixed. On some boats, a deck covers the hull, in part or whole. While a ship often has several decks, a boat is unlikely to have more than one. Above the deck are often lifelines connected to stanchions. Stanchions? A cabin may protrude above the deck, forward, along the center line, or covering much of the length of the boat. Vertical structures dividing the internal spaces are known as bulkheads. Sounds like more like an American terminology for like a bully in school. Hey, bulkhead. Don't be such a bulkhead. Don't be such a vertical structure dividing the internal space in a boat, you bulkhead. The forward end of the boat is called the bow, the the other end the stern. Facing forward, the right side is referred to as starboard, and the left side as port. Port, starboard, stern. Bow. That was on a kid's show when I was growing up. Port, starboard, stern, bow. Oh, I don't know what that was. That's interesting. There was, um, it's a kid's show. It was a dog. A dog was a sailor. A dog was a captain of a boat. Oh my God, someone's going to have to help me here. Kid's show. The early 2000s. What was it? Like around the time of Bear in the Big Blue House. Oh my god, I don't know. Anyway, my family have all been on boats. Being on boats and ships runs in my family, so I feel like I should, at some point, work on boats. I like boats. I have nothing against them, I just haven't frequented them that that much. 
Apparently boats were originally made from the papyrus plant. Oh, and they were used for fishing along the Nile. It's always the Egyptians, man. It's always the Egyptians coming in clutch. Aliens. Aliens. Swear to you. Swear to you. They also made the wooden boats. They also made cargo ships. As time went on, they learned to construct bigger boats. They were so sturdy, they could hold 500 tons of rocks. God damn. And going along with the Egyptian theme, the Egyptian sun god Ra used a very specific type of boat to travel throughout the underworld uh, called a solar bark, um, a very particular part of, type of um, boat or barge. It's more like a barge, I guess. And they would, because Egyptian pharaohs were a representation of the sun god on earth when a pharaoh died they would use one of these boats they would make one of these boats and send them on their final journey to the afterlife on this boat and i think a a lot of uh cultures have done this i think it was quite a common thing i think it's a really cool cool way of doing things i mean i wouldn't mind being sent on my way on a boat and then going off a waterfall or something, that'd be that'd be pretty cool. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know about just being sent down the River Thames, I'd probably end up on a bank somewhere in like southeast London, just being eaten by rats. So maybe not here, but like on the Nile or like somewhere in like South America where you might end up going over a massive waterfall, then yeah, maybe that'd be great. The next word is bulb, like light bulb, not like plant bulb, and I'm going to blow your mind like a blown light bulb, ha ha ha, with the fact that light bulbs were not invented by Thomas Edison, although he, right, apparently Edison nicked a lot of stuff, although he did apparently perfect the light bulb, um, Before him, 23 other bulbs, I think, had been developed Um, in 1809. Sir Humphrey Davy produced the first ever electric arc lamp. And in 1820, Warren de la Rue developed the first ever incandescent light. So they kind of, it was already happening before Edison. So like, that's, that's propaganda for you that's um genius level marketing and the the incandescent light bulbs are the ones that we know of that we mostly use today like the the ones that contain like the little wire filament throughout the whole thing like the the stereotypical image of a light bulb that's what you get that's like a the the current gets passed through it has like a wire filament in it and um, an electric current passes through it and that heats up and it starts to glow and you get this wonderful light um, that happens, you know, very, very quickly. But heats, it'll glow quickly, but heat up over time. That's why it gets hot when you touch it and it goes, ah. But nowadays, you everything's kind of LED. LED lights, which are, um, use a lot less energy and can, uh, better for the environment, much better for the environment. 
I'm spitting basic knowledge now. This is where my mind is not working. So I'm going <laughs> to read more facts. Although the human eye does not always notice it, incandescent light bulbs tend to flicker quite frequently. Rapid gas movements make these bulbs work, and this is what causes them to flicker. Subconsciously, these rapid movements of light can disrupt people's concentration. Mental. So you can be distracted by things you can't even see. Consciously. That's, oh God, as if life wasn't hard enough. <laughs> now we're getting distracted by light bulbs. And you can't even see it happen. I wonder if this is why people say, like, use lamps with lampshades and mood lighting and stuff to have, you know, better concentration rather than, like, a load of light and, like, a main light. Maybe. I don't know. Food for thought, anyway. Apparently, if all American homes replaced one of their incandescent light bulbs for a CFL bulb, it would save enough energy to power three million households each year. You listening, America? Get a CFL bulb, whatever that is. A cool fluorescent light bulb. That is, that is going to be what it is, isn't it? Maybe not cool. A, a, a kooky fluorescent light bulb. What is it? What's CFL? Oh yeah, kooky fluorescent light. I got it. <laughs> no, compact. Compact fluorescent lamp, apparently. Yeah, I think I think most people are using LEDs now anyway. Apparently Sir Joseph Swan is known by some as the inventor of the light bulb and his his bulb used a carbon filament. He was responsible for providing the first incandescent bulbs to homes and buildings in the United Kingdom in the late 1800s, including to the Savoy Theatre in London. Oh goddamn. Do you reckon people are going to talk about like what have we got now? Like iPhones. Do you reckon people are going to talk about iPhones this way? In like a hundred years? Like the inventor of the iPhone, like it was a relic. I mean, it's the original iPhone already kind of feels like a relic. And that's only like, when did it come out? Like 15 years ago? Bit, bit more. Bit less. What was it, like 2008, 2009? Say 14 years ago. But yeah, that's like, it's weird to think, isn't it? Anyway, enough of the existential crisis. Going to move on to... Cra well, the word is crabby. The word is crabby, but we, uh, we're going to talk about crabs, not just people getting annoyed, feeling a bit agitated. Or the Pokemon. It's weird that we had Bulb and then Krabby, like Bulbasaur and then Krabby. Should have just been a Pokemon-themed episode, really. Let's have some amazing crab facts. Number one. This is from factretriever.com. Number one. Both crabs and lobsters are decapods, or crustaceans with ten legs. Look it up. Oh my god, I did look it up. Like Moana. Like, I'm, like I was told to in Moana. Decapod. Look it up. I've looked it up. Wow. Other decapods include crayfish, prawns, and shrimp. I'm so shiny. While lobsters have... Uh, number two. 
While lobsters have a long, segmented abdomen that sticks out at the back of their bodies, crabs have a similar but smaller abdomen that is curled up underneath the main shell. Number three, most crabs have flat bodies that enable them to squeeze into very narrow crevices. That's so nice for them. I have to do crunches for weeks if I want a flat body. But you, crabs, that's fine. You just, you're born with it. Great. Good for you. I'm kidding. I like my body. Paunch or no paunch. I like it. Apart from when my friggin' belly's rumbling when I'm trying to record a podcast. But that's fine. A crab's shell is really a skeleton on the outside of its body. Insects and spiders also have external skeletons. Exoskeletons as they are often called. The largest crab in the world is the Japanese spider crab, which can measure up to 13 feet across. That's taller. That's double my height. That's over double my height. 13 feet? Are you kidding me? 13 feet across. I'm having a, uh, I'm having a crisis over here a little bit. Wow. Only about 4,500 are true crabs. The other 500 are liars. <laughs> are false crabs, which... Uh, and include hermit crabs, king crabs, porcelain crabs, horseshoe crabs, and crab lice. Are they like crabs? Like, as in, like, getting crabs? Like, I got crabs. I don't know. Crabs are also known as spiders of the sea. Because, like crabs, spiders have legs that bend at joints. I'm pretty sure humans have legs that bend at joints as well. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure most things that have legs have legs that bend at joints. That's the criteria for being known as a spider. We're all spiders, really. I identify as a spider because I have a leg that bends at a joint. There may only be two of them. Not eight, but hey, I'm not going to argue with factretriever.com. A crab can use its claws as a vice for crushing, or like scissors for cutting. They can also be used like chopsticks to pick up food. How cultured. Oh, good for them. Cultured little guys. Look at us with our knives and forks while they're over there being cultured. Good for them. The Sally Lightfoot crab, amazing, is the most colourful crab in the world. Huh. It is red, orange, yellow and white. That feels like a very limited colour spectrum, I'm not going to lie. I was expecting like a rainbow crab, considering the amount of colours on fish. You would think like crabs would be able to like up their game a little bit. But no, it's fine. Ah, crab lice, also known as pubic lice are parasitic insects that live on humans. I was right. They can live any place where there is hair, including pubic hair and eyelashes. They feed only on blood. If you've been enjoying this relaxing podcast, you can subscribe to me on Patreon for more relaxation and more chill vibes. <laughs> if I get one patron from that segue... I'll be happy. Um, I really love doing this podcast. I really love providing you guys with light entertainment and 
perhaps more. It feeds me, it fuels me, I love to do it. And the messages I get from you guys are amazing and all I want to do is continue to do it and be able to put more and more time and effort into it and that can only really progress with support from you guys. And I'm not asking for much, I'd never ask for the world. Um, just a, like a very small, small little soupçon of help um, once a month. And in return, you can get a load of bonus episodes. Uh, I'm reading poetry over there at the moment as well. And whatever else springs to mind that I that I uh, that I want to put there. So um, if you want a load of bonus content and want to be amazing in supporting this podcast and what I do and what I love and to to give back, if you go to patreon.com forward slash cavern, you'll be able to do that there. And I'd really appreciate it. Uh, back to crab lice. No, uh, let's move on to a different fact that isn't to do with that. A group of crabs is called a cast. Oh, wow. If they do a good job, we should give them a round of applause. <laughs> Ba-dum. That was actually very quick for me. Maybe I shouldn't have been reading facts. Maybe I should have just let my mind go where it needed to go this time. Man. A crab may lose a claw or leg in a fight. In time, the claw or leg grows back. What an absolute unit. Oh yeah, because I've seen, I've seen videos of crabs that just literally rip their own arms off. Like what an alpha move. Humans are so beta compared to crabs. Andrew Tate needs to take a note from crabs. Andrew Tate is a pussy compared to crabs that can pull their own arms off and have them grow back. That's it. I'm going to leave it there. On that's that's the note I'm going to leave it on for crabs. For for crabby rather. Don't get crabby, Andrew Tate. The last word is wing. And um, oh, there was this crazy fact that I knew about wings and flying and a certain type of ah, oh, a certain type of um animal or insect what was it what was it it was something along the lines of according to all known laws of aviation there is no way a bee should be able to fly its wings are too small to get its fat little body off the ground the bee of course flies anyway because bees don't care what humans think is impossible i'm really hoping some of you knew that was what I was going to say before I said it. I'm hoping I've got some kindred spirits out there somewhere. But no, I was kind of interested in, in wings and how it all works, but I was looking at um, uh, birds specifically and how they fly. So we'll go, if you're, if you're still awake and you're not already asleep, we'll go for a nice lesson in flight. Because you know me, I love flight and I love all stuff to do with flying. Um, to end off this episode should have ended it with the B movie quote, but <laughs> we live and we learn. So, according to Birdspot, in birds, flight depends on four physical forces: thrust, drag, 
lift and weight, which must be balanced for stable flight to occur. It is one of the most complex forms of movement in the animal kingdom, and as birds have adapted to specific environments, they have evolved varied forms of wings and varied forms of flight. Birds fly in a similar manner to aircraft. Do they? I've never seen a plane flap its wings. I wish they did, though. That would be so. That would be such a better way of getting around. Flight one four five from LAX now arriving at London Heathrow, and just fucking like coming in like a dragon. Oh, that'd be great. Anyway, birds fly in a similar manner to aircraft, using lift and drag to sustain their flight. Okay, a bird uses its strong breast muscles to flap its wings. Oh. Hell yeah, chest day. Okay, so the number one fact that you're going to take away from this episode is that birds fly with their titties. There you go. And that is fact. That is fact. They use their strong breast muscles to flap their wings up and downwards as they fly through the air. Uh, As they move, they hold their wings at a slight angle to deflect air downwards, which means the air flows faster over the wing than underneath. This causes air pressure to build up underneath their wings, while the pressure above the wings is reduced, and it is this difference in pressure that causes the wing to lift. This I did not know. That's very cool. I kind of knew a version of it, but not like that. To see this in effect, blow across a sheet of paper. The faster moving air across the top of the paper lowers the air pressure and the higher air pressure below the paper causes the paper to lift upwards. Oh yes, you get sort of thing. I I was waving my hand like that. This is not... I need to start filming these podcasts again. Now I'm just making sounds. To get the air to move over the wing requires thrust, an upward and forward force which counteracts the weight and drag of air resistance. The downstroke of the flap provides the majority of the thrust, and during this power stroke, the wing is angled down more steeply. The downstroke of the flap is also called the power stroke, as it provides the majority of the thrust. During this, the wing is angled downwards even more steeply, so the air is deflected downwards and to the rear. This stroke is like a very brief downward dive through the air, using the bird's own weight to move forward. But as the wings generate lift, the bird stays airborne. During each upstroke, the angle of the wing reduces, and it folds inward slightly to reduce resistance. To help them achieve thrust, birds may use gravity such as taking off from a tree, or they may make a running takeoff from the ground, vigorously flapping their wings as they go. Or they may use that one John Mayer song that everybody knows. The size and shape of the bird's wings affect their flying techniques. They've used the wrong effect. They've used effect instead of affect. Oh my god. Is this even a legitimate legitimate website? Anyway, uh, the increased wind speed over larger wings 
creates a longer path of air so the air is moving more quickly reducing air pressure and creating more lift this means that birds with bigger wings produce greater lift and can fly slower to maintain the same lift as birds with smaller wings oh hence like the little from little birds and the from big birds do you like the the foley artistry i did there you're welcome David Attenborough, let's go, bro. I can sort you out for Planet Earth 5. Wing loading is the weight of the bird divided by the total surface area of the wings, and a smaller wing loading number means the bird can fly more slowly while still maintaining lift. A smaller wing loading number also means the bird can maneuver more easily. Other contributing physical factors that give birds the ability to fly include lightweight, smooth feathers that reduces the force of weight and drag, light bones and a beak instead of a heavy jaw which reduces the force of weight, a rigid skeleton to provide firm attachments for the breast muscles for the sick pecs bro and a streamlined body to reduce the force of drag, hell yeah, aesthetic and absolutely Dench with a sickening pump. <laughs> Dude, I went to the gym like twice and my, my TikTok realized I was there and all of a sudden it's just everyone, every gym bro being like, yo, you want a sickening pump? You do this, do this incline bench press. It'll give you a disgusting pump. I mean, don't get me wrong. I kind of like it. But like, um, it always, like it knows that like, to do my best not to be an asshole as well so it's giving me like encouraging like gym uh culture videos like there's this guy called joey swole i like if you haven't seen him it's fantastic he basically he'll go he'll find videos or have videos sent to him like he's stacked this guy like he's a hell of a bodybuilder but he's like the he's like the guardian of like gym etiquette He's like the muscly, he's like the bodybuilding Batman of badass, bloody amazing verbal beatdowns of telling people how, okay, but okay, I'm not explaining this very well because my mind's not working. If someone has filmed someone being an asshole at the gym or like they themselves are being an asshole at the gym, he will respond to that video and basically like he's like the white knight of gym tiktok and he's making like gym culture a better place and a less intimidating place for so many people to be like hey help people out don't be a dick in the gym and i am all for that energy that's all i've ever like wanted to do on the internet is like push that kind of mentality so i fully support what he's doing and there needs to be more people like him being like hey don't do this like if you see someone doing a workout wrong in a gym or looking a bit stupid, don't film them and put them on the internet. Go over and help them out or mind your own business. And I just, oh God, I love it so much. It's so attractive when people do that. And just in general, don't film people and put it on the internet. It's very simple. Don't film people going about their daily lives and putting it up and put it on the internet. God, it's, <laughs> I'm not saying you do that, but like, I just seem to be seeing it more and more. And um, yeah, I think it's a really weird part of culture. So um, if you see anyone doing that, call them out on it and um, be like, hey, just let people live their lives. Let people be weird. Let people 
just do what they want to do and you just mind your business. Don't take a moment of someone doing something out of context and put them on blast on TikTok of all places. Um, um, don't know how we got from B-movie to that, but um, we did. And um, I'm going to go. This has been a hell of a hell of an episode um, for my mind. It may have been boring. It may have been entertaining. Um, but it's all that COVID was allowing me right now. Man, I just like, well, I thought I was taking better care of myself. But, you know, when you go into a, a stadium with 80,000 people, there's only so much you can do, I guess. But 100% worth it because that Taylor Hawkins tribute gig was one of the best experiences ever. So that's the payoff, I guess. Um, I should be back fighting fit next week. Thank you for listening. I hope you're feeling a bit more chill than when we first started and a little bit more educated as well, perhaps. Who knows? But I will leave you there and I would love you to take care of yourself and everyone around you, but yourself first. So you can do that more, better. Oh God, words. I'd love you to be kind to yourself as well like always, and I will speak to you soon. Okay? All right. Have a good one. Bye.